Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young businessmen, welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitaki, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 28. We are rolling right along with podcasts here, and uh, I always say that I'm really excited to have guests today, and today is no exception. Um, Today, we have Terry Alf. She is a speaker, consultant, and author with more than 15 years of demonstrated success in talent management, organizational design, and operational excellence. She quickly worked her way up to the executive level in multiple Fortune 500 companies in various industries and is now the Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Tulsa Federal Credit Union. So when it comes to intros, when you're using words like excellence and design and talent management, I think that means you're a pretty big deal. So Terry, welcome to the podcast and I'm really excited to, to get to know you today. Well, thank you. And I just want to start by saying, um, a big deal is a relative term. That's true. That's true. <laughs> You're only as big a deal as you think you are, right? As your last success. Absolutely. That's well, if you don't mind, I know that intro kind of gave a little bit of information about yourself, but if you could kind of expound upon that, kind of touch on some, maybe some of the stuff that that doesn't describe you and kind of give the audience a little bit of a background of who you are. Well, I'm originally from Oklahoma, actually had a very mid-America growing up. My parents were educators. I grew up in a very small town in Southeast Oklahoma. I went to the University of Oklahoma. Boomer Sooner, (laughs) actually worked there, and then at engineering school. Uh, Middle of my career, sort of, I I woke up one day and thought, you know what, there's got to be more. I want to do more. So I threw my resume out into the World Wide Web, which at that time was not as common as it is today. Mm -hmm. And I landed with a high-tech $3 billion corporation in Florida who, lucky for me in the interview process, they saw something in me I certainly didn't see in myself. And they hired me to be in charge of executive compensation, which I had no idea what that really meant. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I have an undergrad in English Lit, um, Master's in Human Relations, and I went through the MBA program, executive MBA program at the University of Michigan. But I um, had not held a formal HR role. I uh, started in day one. I showed up at 8 o'clock and they said, hey, you know, this is the last day you'll be here at 8, tomorrow morning and for the next 18 months. We'll see you at 6.30. You're going through a formal mentoring program. I had no idea what that meant. And I'm not a morning person, so that was terrifying at the time. Um, what I came to realize is that was probably the greatest gift I've ever received in my career. So they taught me, Every most people in that organization were from Motorola or GE, who both have 
stellar, especially at the time, people processes. So I was very fortunate, more fortunate than most, to learn, you know, from that great history and tradition of people processes, but also just the link between human resources and the rest of the organization. And, And that's the key. I was never the administrative HR, check the box, stay in the box um, employee, I really wanted to make a deeper link into how the business ran. So I was promoted in my second year and ran a center of excellence for staffing and a shared services function. And we supported all six divisions. And then they sent me to Fortune magazine to speak. It was, I didn't ask who the audience was, but it was the top 100 auto suppliers. And I started getting, um, yeah, I started getting contacted by auto suppliers. I didn't really know anything about that industry, just like I knew nothing about high tech when I went there. Um, however, I went back to my mentor. I'm pretty loyal and said, you know, what do I do? I mean, they're dangling some pretty big dollars. I have two cents in college, um, single mom. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, you can do that. There aren't a lot of women in automotive. And it's just because I think people don't, you know, they just, women just don't, or at the time, they didn't really apply for those positions. So, so I did. And I started in a plant, a manufacturing facility as an HR manager. And I did that about seven months and did a number of unusual things like bringing in a community college who had a hydraulics and pneumatics degree program. And I, I, um, Somehow, I don't know if I asked permission first or forgiveness later, but I allowed all the production workers the opportunity to take those classes next door at a vocational school who loaned me a training room. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was that was interesting. And it really did make a huge difference in how they thought. They were very, very smart. It was an area that was low socioeconomic, so they were not promoted. College higher ed just wasn't promoted. And after volunteering every position on that floor, we found that I'm, I'm good at some things, but definitely not good at wiring harnesses. That They thanked me and said, please don't ever come back. <laughs> However, what I learned, the unexpected outcome of that experience was definitely the talent of the people on that production floor. And uh, the material flow and, and the dedication and loyalty they had to making sure everything, you know, they met every metric. So that was... That was great. I loved, loved, loved the manufacturing environment, really thought I wanted to be a plant manager, and they moved me to the Detroit suburbs to be a divisional director of HR, Um, which is surprising. I mean, I didn't um, see that coming. I just got to this party, you know. So, So, again, I'm creeping out closer to the edge of my comfort zone. But, you know, every time you do that, your circle of influence and network increases. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time I didn't know that, but I certainly know that today. I, I did go to the Detroit suburbs. I'd never actually been there and, um, fell in love with the suburbs. Mm -hmm. It was a great organization and I worked for, um, I had a, my boss was a divisional president. He was Japanese. He had a, a teaching methodology that, um, worked really well for me. So he just sort of continued the mentoring. And we had, you know, we were on um, a company plane three days a week and in Europe every six weeks. Um, I I was their first female executive in that division. And 
Well, yes, but I will. I just assumed they were going to like me. I never considered that a plus or a minus. And absolutely they did. And if they didn't, I just assumed they just didn't know me yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> the only, the only hiccup, my very first day, and it was a, an executive meeting and there were eight of us and they all came in and they were the proverbial executive in their very expensive suits. And I'm sitting here thinking with my big Oklahoma accent thinking, okay, well, this is interesting. And so they asked me to, you know, start you know, introduce myself, tell them something about me. And beside me was one of the execs. And in the middle of a sentence, one of my sentences, he said, you know, I know she's talking, but with that accent, I can't hear anything she's saying. So that's a defining moment. I'm pretty, you know, I see humor everywhere. And I, you know, it was dead silence, which I'm sure was a second or two. It seemed like forever. And I turned to him and said, you know what? Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. And then everybody, then it was funny. But, you know, I think I held my own with uh, humor and respect. Mm -hmm. You know, there are times when, you know, we teach people how to treat us. And I just knew somewhere, you know, intuitively that that was a moment that, that was going to shape the way those relationships happen. And I needed to have strong relationships with them. So... That's where we started. <clears throat> we were a very, very close-knit team. Uh, six months later, I was promoted to uh, a global vice president role in that division. And, yeah, it was it was great. We had two plants in Germany, one in France, and six in North America. Um, it was wonderful. And I did that for, for quite a while. And then they, they did away with my division, which was absolutely the right move to make. And I went to work for a German company and in North America and worked for the North American president. And that was also wonderful um, until the the owner defaulted on a loan to Goldman Sachs. And we kind of went through a hostile European takeover. And I will say as difficult as it was, I learned an enormous amount during that process. And, um, and yeah, so I did that a while. And then, you know, I kind of woke up again one day and thought, you know, I've got a couple of grandkids. I think I'm going to go home. I checked boxes I didn't know existed. Yeah. You know, in three years of leaving Norman, I was a global VP and, and it was great, but I was only here. I was only home four times a year and I, I knew I was missing things. And so I, um, I left, and they were great to me. Um, I'm still very close to many people there, and I came back. And the resume was, I mean, we don't have a big auto industry influence here, or high tech for that matter, so I struggled. I will tell you, in 2008, which probably wasn't the best time in the economy, However, because, you know, 90% of the businesses in Tulsa are small, there are very few of those types of positions available. So, you know, I kind of did a lot of soul searching and I started writing and I was picked up by an online publication that um, asked me to write for them at a career coaching article. And and then I decided, which is typical of me, well, then I'm going to write and publish every day for two years. And I did. Mm -hmm. And then someone asked me, I was on a task force at the chamber. I decided the best way for me to get involved and build relationships here was to get involved in the community, which I love. Mm -hmm. And they were very instrumental in the launch of my business. 
And, you know, all my clients are certainly not in Tulsa. However, boy, Tulsa has just been so good to me. And I have clients, I have some global clients, and I have clients outside, certainly outside of Tulsa, but it is nice to have clients here. I, uh, I, I'm just really fortunate. And, you know, I kind of, in Tulsa, you have to, it's very relational. So there used to be a business calendar in the Sunday version of the Tulsa world and I would cut it out and I would go to any lunch that said not, that had a non-member fee. <laughs> I didn't care what the topic was. I would go and, you know, sit at a table with people and eventually, you know, I'm asking them about themselves and eventually they say, what do you do? And that's how I built my business here. And the speaking, you know, you don't just jump in and say, hey, I'm a speaker. Uh, someone asked me to speak in an association, and, and I did. And, um, and that led to a lot of speaking. I think I did the first – when I started speaking, I think I did almost 100 that year. Wow. Many of those were unpaid. And, and for anyone starting a business, I mean, it's, it, you're honored when anyone asks you to mm -hmm. come speak. And, and if it's a Rotary Club or a Chamber, I'm not, you know, I'm not charging them. So it was good practice for me. It was great networking. And it was certainly a great way to market my business just through my expertise. You never do that in a speaking, you know, in the actual presentation. But people hire people they want to work with and people they like. So that was huge for me. And, you know, I did that a long time and traveled, was traveling a lot. And so I had a client that I have many retainer clients that I've had multiple years. And one of them is was Tulsa Federal Credit Union. I was the executive coach for, I have a big coaching practice for the CEO and had been for three years. And he, um, you know, he had a need for a chief HR officer. So first he invited me in. You know, so would you, would you, can you come in three days a week until I find somebody? And I said, no, I don't have, you know, that kind of time. And we kind of worked something out. So I did. And I was there two or three days. And, you know, it felt, I mean, they're, they're the smallest organization I've ever worked for. They, you know, we have 100 employees. However, I knew nothing about the financial industry. But what I realized in the consulting piece is something special. There's just really something special there. And no doubt it resides in the employees. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I kind of got involved in it and realized I'm there now four days a week. And I'm, you know, arranging things around that business. And I'm getting all excited about possibilities there and he sees the right moment and, and said would you you know would you consider doing it full-time and and I didn't see that coming and I was not I never thought I would go back on the inside and it was easy for me I'm, I'm pretty intuitive I don't I'm not an over I'm very analytical but I don't I'm pretty decisive and and I knew when he asked me that it was something that I didn't know I wanted to do yeah so I said yes and um, I still have clients, but I am full time there, and um, and it's a great place to be. We've done some great things. The credit union industry. I'm learning a lot about that. I'm still in learning mode. Um, but from a people perspective, I you know the the unique thing about HR is you learn something every day from the people, and and so I'm excited. I'm I feel fortunate to have been in a position 
to be recognized by him. He's a great CEO. And we're very, the thing I love about Tulsa Federal Credit Union, we're very forward thinking, but we're very, very uh, involved in the community. The mm -hmm. Tulsa Run, we sponsored the Tulsa Run in a number, and very involved in United Way. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, this year I'm chairing the campaign there, which is a little terrifying because they did some record numbers last year. Um, <laughs> so I'm gearing up. Uh, but that's kind of how I got here. Yeah. You're probably the most fortunate um, person ever. And, you know, I'm grateful every day. Well, to give you a little bit of a history on the podcast and the Young Businessmen of Tulsa. So the whole point of the podcast for me is to kind of speak to that that young Terry, right? The Terry who just graduated from OU and is uh -huh. kind of in that role where you're like, all right, now it's time to get out there. It's time to do something. I'm maybe just starting a family, maybe just finding myself in a leadership role in the business that I'm in. And so what I love about the story, uh, your story, is that it kind of shows how quickly sometimes that process can happen. Like you jump into that role and, and, and you're there and you're going and you're, you're gung-ho and you're, you're just ready to you know, take the world by storm. And then uh, next thing you know, you get, you get promoted and, and there's a thrill there. But there's also a little bit of probably anxiety there because you're, you're getting promoted to a role that you don't necessarily know that you can do. So if you don't mind, I know you talk a little bit about kind of getting yanked up the corporate ladder. I mean, you were talking yes. seven months, six months, seven months, like all, and, and each role got more and more responsibility and ultimately had probably more unknowns than knowns for you. So how did you, how did you first of all navigate getting yanked up? And then second of all, uh, what would you say to somebody who's kind of in that, that position who feels maybe like they were promoted to something that they don't necessarily feel out or they don't, they feel outside of their comfort zone, but they don't necessarily feel like they're qualified yet to do the job that they've basically been promoted to do. Well, let me start with the second part and then I'll, if okay. that's okay. And yeah, I'll go back. One thing I tell all my coaching clients is if you've been identified to do something, someone else sees something you, you didn't know you could do and you never allow anyone else to determine your value, but you, mm -hmm. But you never grow unless you stretch. And um, I'm, I would venture that the most successful people are the people who have been promoted into positions that were stretch assignments. Because in that growth and that stretch is where the true value is. Mm -hmm. And that's, those are the skill sets that you learn. And a lot of that is organizational agility you know, how to navigate the formal channels and the informal. A lot of that's relationship building, managing conflict, decision-making. It, it's a variety of things. But most of all, it's saying yes. Mm -hmm. Fear is the only way to overcome fear is hope. However, fear creeps into decision-making and it taints every decision. So some people retract back into where they're comfortable. And I think to the first part of that question, that's critical because when you're starting out, you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, they come to you and they say, and I never applied for any of those promotions, but they say, you know, we're going to tap you for this opportunity. We would like for you to do it. Well, in a large business, if you say no, you, you could be dead. I mean, yeah. head to them. And that's just a reality. You do a quick risk assessment. So, you know, what's the impact of this in 10 days, 10 months, and 10 years? And what am I going to learn from this? And often I caution young business people all the time to not limit themselves. They all believe they have a path and they've orchestrated it and they've got this timeline. I'm going to be here by this time. 
I believe that if you work hard, you manage your time well, you make good decisions, and and you go the extra mile, those come to you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry so much about that. They will come to you, and if they don't, you're in the wrong place. Now, time is something I always talk about, and this is key starting out. The only finite element anyone deals with is time. We all, whether you are sweeping the floor or running the company, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. So how we manage our time, how we save our time, and how we waste it is the true currency of success. Money is the byproduct. So I'm a big believer in journal, career journals. Everybody's story is worth documenting. Um, But, you know, look to see where you're spending your time. You think you know what your priorities are, but it's where you spend most of your time that becomes the priority, whether you realize it or not. So the key is managing time and doing the extra effort. I mean, it's, um, you know, I didn't get paid for being at at that opportunity at 630 in the morning. But the value, there are a lot of ways to value things. And that came back to me in compensation multiple times. So it's an investment. It's an investment in you. It's an investment in your organization. But it is scary. And and you just don't want to be afraid. And if you see something that you think you want and you explore it and you're in the first third of your career, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things, and I loved how you talked about the extra effort, and I, I believe that it's possible, I'm going to postulate, that the reason that you accelerated so quickly in your career is that you were open to doing above and beyond what your job required. Uh, I had a, a great mentor that told this uh, to me, and uh, I've kind of adapted it as well. And whenever I hire a new employee, uh, when, when I sit down and we're kind of doing orientation and we're kind of going over the compensation plan and everything else, uh, one of the things that, that he originally told me and, 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 and I've since told to a lot of my employees is that if you do exactly what this job description says, exactly what I've contracted you to do, there is no reason for me ever to give you a raise because you're doing the job that we hired you to do. But if you want to be promoted in this company and if you want to excel and be recognized as somebody who is a future leader in this company, that's where going that extra mile comes in. That's where taking on that additional responsibility comes in. And I believe that was something that you did. It is. And another thing I realized, I'll go back to what I said about understanding the business. I often... That was an, an environment that kind of cut you loose. So how are you getting, and they watched to see how you navigated. So I wanted to know more about um, all the different areas of the business. So I invited myself. I asked to be invited to product meetings, project meetings, anything I could, number one, to get exposure to you know the decision makers in the organization and to learn more about the business. Mm-hmm. And that's how you that's how you move up. It's people who um, show an interest. It may not be available to you, but all you have to do is ask. Mm-hmm. And, and you that way you define your journey. I remember going in and saying, you know, I really would love to be in that product meeting. And they said, well, that doesn't have anything to do with HR. And I said, well, next time you you're looking for talent, internal or external, and I understand what's going on there. We're going to shorten that lead time and we're going to get a much better fit in that person. And, you know, and they agreed and they invited me and I was invited to them every time after that. 
The other piece is understanding your role and as well as everybody else's and supporting them. Now, HR is an infrastructure function, and I tell everyone that comes to work for me, you need to understand we lead through people. So we're successful when other people are successful. Mm-hmm. I was interviewed by Forbes a few years ago um, for an article, and you know, they said, you know, what do you attribute you know, how do you measure your success? And I said, despite every, you know, whatever I've done, my success is defined by the last project or client I interacted with. You just can't rest. I mean, looking forward is really important. It's important to reflect, and that's what journals are for, and and keeping track of your successes. That's really important. Otherwise, when opportunities come up, you're going to sell yourself short. But looking ahead is just key because your perspective is different. We all come to this party with different experience and expertise. And there's a lens of bias that we look at things through. And that's valuable Mm -hmm. because it's in the differences, not necessarily the sameness, where innovation resides. It's that question that no one else has asked, that you just don't know where it's coming from. Yeah. Now, I know you talk a lot about sustainable success. So would you say that... Defining your success by the last project would be the key to sustainable success? I don't think there's any doubt about that because people will remember the last thing you did. <laughs> I, I could stand up and tell my story and, you know, I've, you know, I've, been, I've been fortunate. I've done a lot of things because I was willing to walk out on that limb and, be, and risk making a mistake. Um, and I, I made plenty but it's how I recovered from those that probably define my success the most. But sustainable success comes from learning from what you've done, learning from feedback that you get, which is tough and you don't have to agree with it, but there's typically an element of truth in it. And then keeping track of where you are, understanding self-awareness is huge, Mm -hmm. but also how you fit in. And And if you stay true to yourself and authentic to who you are, that is what will set you apart as long as you are a team player. So that's the piece. A lot of people think that being a team player means that you do what everybody else does, and that's not necessarily true. It means that you work well in the team and you bring something special, and everybody has that ability. You know, teamwork makes the dream work, right? I mean, it's it's one of those yeah. things where, yeah, just agreeing with everybody does not necessarily accomplish the goal. A, a lot of it has to do with sometimes going against the group and challenging the group and, and giving yeah. that feedback. And that's kind of what defines me. I wouldn't say I'm always devil's advocate, but I think because of my experience, I see things differently. Yeah. So where I am now, we sit in an executive team meeting and they're going down a path. They've done this before. And I'm like, you know, okay, hold on. Have you, you know, have you thought about, I don't know. So stop me. I'm, I'm absolutely ready to say, I don't know what I'm doing, but have you thought about doing this or this? And I'm always looking at it from efficient cost, quality, efficiency. You know, you don't want to ever compromise quality. You want to be cost effective and efficient. That comes from my manufacturing background, but I apply it every day. Absolutely. I want to go, I want to circle back a little bit to when you were talking about feedback, because as I was thinking about some of the things that you're saying in terms of giving feedback to people and and receiving feedback, I think for me, when, when I was younger, like it was really hard to receive that feedback. And so in, in a role where, again, you're just getting started and somebody's kind of 
you know, helping to try to correct you and try to give you feedback. Can, can you talk a little bit more about just the importance of really not taking that feedback as, as necessarily a negative thing, but, but, but using it as a learning experience? Absolutely. I'll start by saying in Oklahoma, we're fairly nice to one another. Yeah. Um, so I think that makes it harder because then it feels like criticism. It always does. But we're accustomed to people being nice to us. You know, if I if I go to an employee and I'm going to give them feedback and I think that it's going to come across in a negative way, I couch it a special way. You know, I, I start with all the things they do well, but here's an opportunity to do better. And so when I hear it and I trust me, I have been criticized by the best in the business because they were invested in my career. Yeah. And and I had to keep telling myself that. But I always thought to myself, okay, that felt horrible. Let me just get through that first. <laughs> it didn't feel good. It's that mean I'm a, it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. However, what opportunity do I have to make that better? Because if they took the time to tell me, then it, there must be something in there that I have an opportunity to improve. And... You know, feed, and I hate it when people say feedback is a gift, but in reality, it is certainly a unique opportunity to see yourself through someone else's eyes. Yes. So if you can push the ego aside and the emotion aside, that's basically what it is. Yeah, and the tough part about that is like when you think about, so uh, spoiler alert, I'm technically a millennial. I'm like one of the older millennials. But when you think about the the millennial generation, they've been told their whole life, like, you're the best. You're you're great. Good job. You participated. Here's your trophy. And so when you get into that real world situation where you're getting negative feedback and uh, they basically tell you that what you did was not that great. Um, that's a, a real learning opportunity. That's, that's for me, that's real world. Okay. So you, you did a project, you got out there, you tried, you failed. Uh, you, you, you didn't hit your goal. You didn't, you didn't accomplish what you're supposed to do, whatever it is. And so that if you look at it from the perspective that you put out there, that whoever's giving you that feedback is invested in your career I think it's easier to digest, but sometimes I think it's also easy to get on the, the other side of that and be like, that guy doesn't care. He just, he was looking for this opportunity. He was looking for this opportunity to tear me down. And it's almost this mental thing inside of you that's trying to justify why uh, you got kind of reamed for what you got reamed for. And, and I think that in most cases, if you were hired and you were put into that position and you were given that project, that person is invested in you. And, and to take that feedback, not as, not as somebody trying to tear you down, but somebody trying to help me help make you better. Well, a couple of things, boy, I am anti stereotype. So, and I push back all the time when people start dividing people into these groups and making these blanket statements about them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a baby boomer and I think I am really, really good with technology because I've had to be. I love hiring um, a mix of generations because they all bring a different perspective. I think it's how you communicate with them that makes a difference with the younger workforce. Mm -hmm. um, they're ambitious. You know, when I came into the workforce, I was looking for the organization to tell me if I added value. 
I didn't come in telling them that I, I, I felt it, but I needed them to validate it. That's just not true today mm-hmm. because they're all digital natives. They have more information at the tip of their fingers and they honestly, they're coming in better equipped. So I think we have to look at the jobs we're putting them in differently and that traditional hierarchy just isn't going to work going forward. And they need to get involved in a lot of different things to demonstrate to them all the things they have to learn. Mm-hmm. But when, if I was going to give feedback to them, again, I would start with all these great things. And, and you know, most people are, are visual learners. So I, I kind of like to do feedback at a whiteboard and say, you know, here's where you are. Here's where we want you to be, mm-hmm. but to get there, here's some things I want us to work on. Mm-hmm. And, and I support them in that. That's the other piece because you're going to have people who give you feedback because they're not very nice people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to whitewash this. I, you know. <laughs> and a high potential is a target. There's no doubt with, you know, if you are a star performer, there are a lot of people wanting to shoot you down to make a place for that path for them. That's just a reality, and it is. And so, again, you don't let anyone else determine your future, and you always sit, smile and say thank you, and walk away and just process it. But you can't wear it. Don't mm-hmm. let it become the coat that you wear from that point on. Yeah, that's a choice you make. Well, I, I love how you said don't let it become the coat that you wear because one of the things, and I know you're you're a business coach. And you talk a lot about mentorship. And I believe mentorship is one of the other kind of key components to uh, what helps you accelerate at the, at the level that you accelerated in. But I think through mentorship, one of the things that you find out is you find out who you really are. You find out uh, what your strengths are, what your passions are, what your purpose is. And so when you're getting that feedback, you can look at that feedback and almost put it up against who you know you are. And I think that when you have a, a, a very solid knowledge of what you are, you can take that feedback that it's positive and apply it, and then you can kind of uh, process the rest of it and determine whether or not that feedback is relative to you, and then either use it to make yourself better or use it to encourage you to move forward. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I encourage in every speaking engagement where they're wanting to know information like this to go find a mentor. I do it in my job now and often we will have a person who's in a role and they're the sole person in that role. We'll find someone in a different organization that does this well mm-hmm. and ask them. Everyone loves to be asked there for feedback. I mean, people love to be mentors for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so I highly, I mean, I have mentors today that I still go back to because I know my flaws very well and Honestly, I repeat them if I don't keep them top of mind. And that brings me to a really important tool. It's a power tool for anyone. The first one is, of course, managing your time. But early on, and and I do this with millennials in the workplace, I hire the renegade always because they push me because I'm always going to make decisions based on my experience and expertise. I need some, I need a team that sees it differently. I don't care where they are in my team, what the role is. I want them pushing back on me and I want them to know they have the freedom to do that. in you know, when within the team, but I have them all keep a career journal. And so they keep their notes all day long and they answer a couple of questions at the end of the day. What were my successes and what could I have improved upon? And this is critical, crucial for young employees. I have, you know, I, manage, I 
coach a lot of CEOs and they all do this. Um, here's why it works. Because what we write, we think about, and our thoughts drive our behavior. So it's almost change your mind, change your life. Mm -hmm. So when I started out, my first performance appraisal was in corporate America. And um, I had a tendency with humor comes sometimes sarcasm, which I think is hilarious. But apparently it didn't fly well in corporate America. <laughs> And I had, I had been nurtured. I had never, ever received that kind of feedback. And I didn't even know by that time I was doing it. So they had to point out a few examples, and now I'm embarrassed. And they, what they had me do is in my career journal on the left side of the page every morning, I wrote no sarcasm today. And it stayed top of mind, and it curbed that behavior over time. So that question that you answer regarding what could I have improved upon over time you're going to see a trend, and that's your true development need. And every now and then, that still pops up with me. I, I know I do it, and, and I have to really manage it. And there's a lot of material for sarcasm when you work in corporate America. But <laughs> that aside, it's not appropriate. And, and so I had to – that was my tool for managing because it could have been a career stopper. Well, sarcasm, it walks a very thin line. It can – it can be used as humor in certain situations, but a lot of times it can be used to tear people down. And uh, I, I actually, I talk about that a, a, a lot because I was really sarcastic. I, w I would have bought the shirt that says sarcasm is my superpower mm -hmm. if I had found one. But what I found was that sarcasm actually pushes, like for me, it pushed people away. Like it, it, it was funny. It was hilarious. But in most cases, it was at the expense of somebody else. And so what I realized was that I didn't have any meaningful relationships because I was so good at sarcasm. And so I applaud you for kind of recognizing that. And again, I think there is a time and place for it. But when you do it almost too well, uh, you have to be careful because it can really, really hurt the relationships that you have. Again, from a feedback perspective, I was fortunate they were invested enough in me to give me the feedback. But they also gave me a tool. So they were supporting me to correct it. And that's key. Mm -hmm. So if someone comes to you and they give you, you know, critical feedback and you don't say, thank you, but can you tell me how you would have done that differently? Because I really want to curb it. I was unaware of it, but you know, what can I do to change that? That's where the powerful moment comes in a feedback, you know, conversation. Yeah, that's and I think that if our listeners will write that down and take that to heart, that will first of all to whoever their supervisor is or whoever their person is that's kind of giving them that feedback. I think that'll show them that you have an open heart, you're willing to change, you're willing to go into it. I think part of being receptive to feedback is is going to be one of those things that will help propel you really to that next level. Yes, absolutely because Everyone makes mistakes. I had a boss once who was so great. He would walk around at the end of the day and say, did anybody make a mistake today that we can all learn from? Now, it took a while for <laughs> anyone to admit, but then it became an everyday thing yeah. and a conversation. And that changed the culture. And it was an R&D center. And that really changed the culture. And, and it made people realize we all make mistakes, but those are learning opportunities and... It was powerful, but I think from asking the questions of the person giving you feedback just demonstrates 
your intent to be a great employee. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I do want to uh, give you a chance to talk a little bit about your book, uh, Experience Job Satisfaction, because I think that's something that everybody's looking for. And, and you really say, or you want this book if you feel stuck in your current job and you want to proactively make a change, you want to stop being a victim to your boss, you, you are a job seeker and you can't seem to step across the threshold into an interview, you're considering a job change in a vir- to a virtual company and want to better understand how that works, you seem to always be behind and often feel overwhelmed, you feel like you've lost control of your career and you want to, find, you want to feel excited, that excited feeling again. I mean, I think those that like little introduction is is probably touching a lot of uh, pressure points for a lot of but, uh, people, a lot of hot buttons. So tell everybody a little bit about why you wrote that book and, and what that book will ultimately do for the listeners. Well, as you read that, I realized I've been in all those places. So that was self-explanatory. And I didn't even realize <laughs> it. Um, I wrote the book in 2010. Um, I'd always wanted to write a book. I mean, you know, and I'm actually right now in the middle of the second one. But That one, I had a lot of people I was coaching who felt all of those things. And I had felt those things. So I wanted wanted a resource that people could open to any chapter and find something of value. Now, you know, that's been seven years ago. So some of that, (laughs) some of that guidance is probably a little dated. However, some of those things are universal. That was the intent is to help people. You know, when you write a book and you put it on Amazon and you think, well, no one will ever buy it. I'm always astounded. Um, And I've had people show up and say, hey, I bought your book. Thanks so much. This particular area really helped me. I touched on some sensitive things in that book. And one of those is the, you know, the work-wife, work-husband relationship and how that excludes other members of the team. Uh, And not a lot of people are willing to, to talk about that. But mainly I wanted to be, I wanted it to be real, authentic, but also inspirational because you're not the only person that feels like this. Mm-hmm. A lot of, everybody does at some point. So that was the purpose in writing that book. Um, my current book, it's been halfway for about a year and now I'm in a place where I'm ready to pick it up again. But I picked 10 topics that I thought millennials would want guidance on and then within each those became the chapters and within each one I picked five people I feel are inspirational that are further along in their career to write a letter to themselves when they were starting out based on that topic that's awesome. that's, that's my podcast right there <laughs> we're gonna have to have you back and talk about this <laughs> so that's that's kind of um, I have some just people who are just you know aren't famous and I have some people that are pretty well known I think there's value in both. Fame and fortune in no way defines value, always. There are plenty of people that, some of the smartest people I know, no one's ever heard of. That's the intent of the second one, and um, and hopefully I'll get it through. I also would love to write Choose Your Own Adventure Leadership book, and I really wish that was my idea, but it was my son's idea. So. <laughs> hey, well, you only have to quote him like two or three times on it, and then you can take it for your own. That's how it works. <laughs> But, you know, I would pick, I would define leadership styles in my own way, present a scenario, and then you turn to this page if you think this is your style, and you'll see the result of that. Um, That's a hard book to write, but but definitely one I think would be valuable as well. So I love to write. It's cathartic for me. 
And when I wrote every day for two years, part of that was learning to write. And all the all the guidance, I sought, a lot, sought out a lot of guidance on that, was to write every day. So I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll do this. And some, some articles were better than others, and that's just the way it is. But I learned every time I wrote. Yeah. I had a, a segment on Good Morning Oklahoma for a couple of years, and um, it was like 6.40 in the morning, so you know it's hard to even think that early in the morning, much less give guidance, but it was three minutes, and you just you know knew the topic, but I never knew what questions were coming. And what that taught me is what came out of my mouth in those situations was authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have time to refine it and make it um, the perfect message, but it was real. And so I caution people starting out in their careers to understand who they are authentically. Never apologize for being yourself. And it doesn't have to be perfect. Doesn't have to be perfect ties exactly into the feeling that a lot of people I think face is the imposter syndrome is you look at all these people who are uh, successful and, and have accomplished all these things. And you're just sitting there going, well, they're perfect and I'm not. So I, why, why even bother? Why even try? And I think you hit it right on the head is you're not going to be perfect. And that's okay. That's you. That's the authentic you. That's what makes you different than everybody else that you're willing to be imperfect and you're willing to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and be real. And I think that when you kind of step beyond that, that feeling and, and, and realize that you're stretching yourself and you're, you're, you're trying to make yourself grow. I think that's where a lot of people can see true growth in their careers is because they realize that there are going to be mistakes along the way. And that's, that is okay. That's part of the process. Well, and the basis of everything is trust. People trust people who are authentic. Mm-hmm. And they know when they go to them, it's not going to be whitewashed, whatever the message is. They're going to tell them what they believe to be the truth. And that's, that becomes the basis for everything in a workplace. Absolutely. Because you can't have conflict. You can't. Everything is tainted if you don't have trust. Absolutely. Terry, I appreciate you taking the time to, to speak to our audience, to, to kind of share your story, be authentic with us, uh, and, and show that as you grow, as you're yanked up through your career, there is a process to it, but also part of it is just knowing yourself. And so I, I want to thank you for, for, for being on the podcast, and I definitely want to give you an opportunity. How do people connect with you? Uh, how do people find your book and, uh, and your coaching and all that other stuff? Well, number one, thank you for having me. This is always fun. Um, I can easily be found. I'm the if you Google Terry Off, I'm the only one that pops up. But I have um, Terry at TerryOff.com okay. is my email. My website is TerryOff.com, and my book. If you go to Amazon and you just search Terry Off, the book pops up. So I try to keep it as simple as yeah, possible. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, there's nothing I love more than you know hearing hearing someone's story at the beginning of their career. Absolutely. Well, again, people connect with that. And, and when they connect with that, they, they I think they realize that it, it's possible. I, I, I truly believe that sometimes people get so caught up in looking at what other people are doing and realizing, wow, there's no way, there's no way that I could do that. And, and it's because they only see the highlight reel. They only see the success. They don't see the work that went into it. And I think that if people are willing to realize that, 
you know, people made mistakes. People were turned down for job offers. People failed, but that's not what you see. You see, you only see the end result and, 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 and that's normal. It, it's absolutely normal to go through those struggles. What you're going through is not, you're not the only one doing it. Uh, having a mentor and, and, and investing in yourself is so important. Absolutely. And often not getting the job ends up being the best thing that ever happened. I see it time and time again. So, Fantastic. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Young Businessman, thank you. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the next podcast. Young Businessman, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessman of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.